When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Product Coffee, a podcast where product management leaders share stories, advice, and thoughts on all things product over a cup of coffee. Grab a cup of joe and join us to level up your product career 30 minutes at a time. Maybe what we can do is talk about what I've been seeing as like, call it an interim head of product at the (laughs) emerging startups most of the companies that I've been at in the recent few years have been post-product market fit, scaling, and then really struggling. That seems to be where they're hiring a lot for heads of products in that phase. And then they're also really struggling to figure out why it's not working. It's a very interesting problem to solve, but I've been doing a lot of studying up on this and got a lot of good conversation starters that maybe we can dive into a little bit deeper. We also got Airbnb, Brian Chesky talking about, you know, let's fire all the product managers. No, that's extreme. And then that Marty Kagan kickback, which I love to talk about the importance. And there's still this like wishy-washy understanding of what does product look like at what stage of company and how should the product model operate? And I feel like there is an ingrained nature in thriving enterprises that pushes back innovation or does not allow for innovation because it's not logical. It doesn't make sense. And so I want to dive Same into more. this with you, you today. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, if, I, if I'm super analytical, I've got all of the bells and whistles, the how many at-bats am I going to have to make a decision? I'm running all these A-B tests. I'm looking at every single product investment and I'm not bouncing until... I find that thing. So there's like a paralysis analysis that happens, but it actually, that paralysis analysis framework and process and prioritization process actually inhibits companies from innovating. Um, and some companies are better than this than others, but I don't think it even allows for the innovation model to really exist continuously. Because I think what these companies are trying to do is find a repeatable product model that works for them. And when they do, they, they thrive. But usually a lot of these companies are struggling with that. And so I wanted to kind of pick your brain on a couple aspects of that, but specifically when it comes to innovation and uh, taking that initial bet, right? Or the experiment. Like there's so much we can dig, dive into. So like, I don't know, where, what, 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 uh, what does that kick up for you? Yeah. A couple things come to mind. One is portfolio product management and thinking about how to balance not just the kinds of products and businesses that you have within your general portfolio. But I think for the purpose of this conversation, the other leg of that stool that I think is incredibly important is having a portfolio of processes and approaches. And um, because if you, as a product organization, different outcomes are gonna require different um, product processes and different products at varying stages in their life cycle are also going to require different approaches as well. 
And so thinking about how you want to approach product and the bets you want to place as a business, there's no, I, I think it is a mistake and is actually doing a disservice to your product to take the same product process and apply them to all of those different goals and outcomes in your portfolio. And that might be some of the problems that these companies that you're referring to are struggling with is that they're trying to find that one size fits all process when that actually is probably not realistic. For example, a mature product is going to likely be in more of an optimized stage of its life cycle. So you're probably going to be leaning incredibly heavily into A-B testing and approaching your product decisioning through those methods. Whereas if you are much earlier in a life cycle of a product, we've talked about this at Ibotta quite a bit, like there are times when you just got to be building and you got to be shipping and you got to get it out there and you got to just be moving as fast as you humanly possibly can. And it's, there's a level of risk. There's a level, obviously the risk profile is going to be a little bit different, but the kinds of questions that you're asking are probably going to be different as well. And the way to go answer those questions is likely also going to be different. So how does the market fit in to the stage of the product? Because you're saying that most of it is dependent on the stage of the product, but I kind of want to yeah. challenge that to say it's not just that, but it's yeah. it's the it's the state. Are you building a new market? Is this an emerging market? Is this something that is is healthy in your competitor? Because yeah. I think you'd approach each of these processes a little bit differently. Definitely. Yeah, I think stage of the market is also incredibly important. Like if you are if you are an existing player in an established market, or if you're a new player in an established market, or if you are creating a new market, yeah, I think your approaches are all going to be different in those in those environments as well. I'm kind of seeing some of these patterns and I wanted to, to pick your brains on this. So we talked about different portfolio. I like that, that what you're saying, like um, the right tool for the right job kind of thing, right? Like you're uh, depending on what you're trying to do, but there's all this, this is inherent, like, hey, just no matter what, ship, right? No matter what, yeah. ship. And um, yeah, yeah, I think let, let's pull that, pull the layers of the onion back a little bit. I want to talk about more of those kind of phases, stages that you witness within or that you have witnessed throughout your product career, like how that product development process normally pans out and, and, you, and you can vary it by, okay, if you're doing this, this is what we would do. If you're doing this, this is what we would do. But I want to kind of understand those, yeah. maybe those core sections or themes, like we do this first, sure. we do this next, we sure. do that, you know, or if it might not be as linear, but you tell me. Yeah. Oh boy. Where do we, where do we start here? <laughs> maybe you kind of work backwards a little bit. So okay. if you have a mature product in a mature market, you likely have, at least I would hope that you have a very deep understanding of your target segment and target customer. And so you're not searching for that, or there is not necessarily as much of your effort on a proportional basis be expended towards um, deep segmentation analysis or deep customer research because you have a lot of that already pre existing, would be my assumption. And you are more, you are likely more invested in answering the question how do we differentiate from other competitors in this particular space, in that mature market with that mature product? As you start to think about a less mature market, it's kind of defining the market a little bit more becomes a lot of your focus. And what are the pain points? Who is even on the other side of this market? Who is your potential buyer? Who is your potential consumer? What pain points do they have? And specifically within those pain points, which pain points are they willing 
to trade capital for, i.e. money or whatever it is. And so it's almost identifying what is the lucrative problem that needs to be solved. And in that process, and this is probably where a lot of startups, like there's an inflection point somewhere, and I'm sure there'd be an interesting conversation to deep dive into this, but like at what point and how common is it where a startup realizes that they're solving the wrong problem? And dare I use the P word here, pivot into a new space, right? Like you could, I, you could name a number of different examples off. Like Slack comes to mind as a big one, right? They did not start yeah. out as an office communication tool. They started out as something completely different. Fog bugs would be another one, um, kind of how Trello came, came into being and how when they took off, like a lot of those hockey stick moments, those hockey stick inflections, I think a lot of times have to do with figuring out a slightly different problem to go to go solve. And that's like, as you're building an understanding of your market and you haven't found that sweet spot just yet. Some of the anti-patterns is that yeah. some of the startups that I've been a part of over-invest in some of the go-to-market channels pre-product market fit, where yep. then you're kind yep. of in a vicious spiral of like, well, you know, we had this concept seed of an idea. We went into product development and a lot of companies yeah. I'm consulting with too, the same thing. We're, you know, we're going into alpha beta test and then we have, we launch our first ship product from the sales marketing perspective in alpha beta, you'll hire the first sales staff, you'll build the sales organization at the next step. Like you kind of, yeah. you're kind of going along this line, all pre first ship, right? You're creating marketing communications materials, positioning, yep. hiring PR agencies, creating demand, all this stuff, right? And so this is why I, I yep. hear the need for Gantt chart roadmaps because they're trying to do this in enterprise organizations. And this is the pattern that I wanted to yes. peel apart because it doesn't seem yes. like no matter what the process you choose, the behavior of these enterprise organizations seem to all follow this pattern and gets us yes. into a trap. Curious for your thoughts on what you think the core assumption is that the business is making when they decide to invest in all of those activities. Here's the trap. You don't have these departments day one. You have product engineering business, maybe. You go find product market fit and you staff to accelerate. So that process is fine. When you get to the scaling enterprise organizations, you already have those departments. What do the departments yeah. want to do? They want to keep their job. They want to continue to grow or contribute to the organization. All that kind of cyclical type of behavior from those two departments kind of turns the the nature of prioritization in the work on its head a little bit you know all yes. of a sudden the <laughs> the annual budget we're not hitting our goals what do we do head of sales what are you doing you got to fix your shit head of sales is like ah well if i need to fix my shit marketing you need to give me some good leads marketing what are you yeah. gonna do Okay, yeah. well, if I want to help no, you get good leads, old. product, yeah. where is your Gantt roadmap so I can go pre-do all these things and pitch to my board of investors to pitch into the annual budgeting process to then go fuel. So it's like that, that death spiral, right? Yeah. Like it's just like this innovation killing spiral. Well, the core assumption is that product market fit's been achieved, right? Like something... You said earlier was those functions are often accelerant of mm. having figured out a problem that people are willing to pay a premium to have solved and you have solved it adequately enough that they're willing to part way with that. Yeah. So That's what do you the core do? Assumption, right? Yeah. yeah. 
So what do you do as a product team now when you're experimenting, you're figuring shit out, you're shipping, you're doing all this stuff to find the next product market fit, but the rest of the organization is kind of like rejecting the host, right? It's like, it's like, oh, this is not um, working because it naturally kind of doesn't work, right? Is it, yeah, I'm curious because I've well, seen a lot of churn in, in executive leadership too with, in that stage of growth. And I think there's something that, that is kind of unspoken and not even really put a finger on because people are still trying to figure out why isn't it working? Again, Airbnb is doing this right now. Like, why isn't it working? Yeah. And I wonder, like, is there a pattern or something that we can pull out of these experiences that we've seen recently to inform an insight? Great question. I have, I just have a lot of half-baked ideas and thoughts on it. Um, Let's hear it. Idea vomit. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of them is, okay, here's two, two thoughts. One is it doesn't work because product market fit hasn't been found and the business is investing. So there's half-baked. At the beginning, at the at the beginning, right, when you're finding product market fit, before you've found product market fit, you have to actually get your product in the hands of people. So there's that initial distribution of your product, even to get that data, right? At some point, if you found product market fit, one of the best articulations that I've heard of it is it goes from a push to a pull feeling within the business. Mm-hmm. You are no longer having to push your product onto people. You People are coming to you. Right, because your product is now selling itself in a variety of ways. But you got to kickstart that through some mm. sort of go-to-market strategy. And so that's kind of where that balance is. Um, but that doesn't necessarily have to be like traditional marketing, traditional sales. It could be things like product hunt. It could be things like taking your product onto the street and talking to people about it, right? That's one idea, right? Is it's not working because you haven't crossed that threshold yet of push to pull. And the business is trying to force it, but the fundamental... Mm product market relationship has not achieved fit. That probably happens a lot earlier in the company's life cycle and probably earlier than the stage of companies that you're talking about. The next one in in my head is after you've gone through that, after you have found that you crossed that push-pull threshold and after you have you've successfully implemented a go-to-market strategy and a more kind of business scaling strategy to accelerate the distribution consumption evangelization of that product, the growth rate starts to slow down and you start to hit the top of that S-curve. And you haven't, as a business, successfully thought about the next product horizon, right? You haven't invested in that next product horizon or recognized the need to invest in finding that next product horizon. What's not working? Well, this is total speculation, but what could be happening is members of the business feel like that product growth, that business growth on the back of that product is gonna go on forever. And I think very often what happens is the end comes a lot faster than people think. Like the product life cycle, the top of that S curve is not as far out. Everyone knows it's coming, right? Like any business leader worth their salt knows that there's a life cycle to every product. I What I speculate on is the top of that S-curve 
is closer than you might otherwise think, especially as the pace of innovation starts to accelerate, new technologies are coming online and just hypothesize like, are those S-curves becoming more and more condensed over mm. time as the pace of innovation and so forth accelerate? I don't know. But that- uh, like, It's like the objects in the mirror closer than they can appear. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Visually here. That, <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. And I, that there's, I bet there's some of that going on mm. in, in some- But what, what do you think- what what is the what differentiates the companies that are failing to see that object in the mirror versus the ones that consistently innovate? What's different? I think there's a fundamental difference in companies feeling like they've solved the problem versus companies feeling like they will never completely solve the problem. And they need to be constantly looking for ways to solve the problem better, even if they've found something that works, even if they've found that inflection moment, because it's easy, I think, to realize like, oh, look, we've solved this thing. This company's taken off. Growth rate's awesome. We've crossed that push-pull threshold. Mm -hmm. But I think the fundamental reality is market conditions are always changing. And so that lightning in the bottle moment is temporary. It's not forever. Mm. And so the real skill, I think, of top performing businesses, high growth businesses, is you're always looking for the next edge on how to hold that lightning for as long as possible. And particularly in tech businesses, that comes back to innovation, solving the problem more effectively, cheaper, more efficiently, whatever it is. And so we just talked about some of those yeah. enterprise organizations with this anti-pattern are inhibiting the innovation process by not investing into these areas or exacerbating the innovation be. process because of these other departments. But like, what is it particularly, it, you know, is it something that the teams aren't doing enough of? Because I'm curious about that. Like, is it something that we can point to, oh, they just need to do this better or they're missing a step? or they're not doing this enough, or... Yeah. It's hard for me to answer that question with full authority, mm. but like what I would think, like some of the activities that I think would really help aims in this regard is asking yourself on a regular basis, how would I compete with myself? If I were a new startup coming in, what would I do? How would I approach the market? How would I try and take down Ibotta, right? In my case, what are the types of experiences, offerings, capabilities that we would focus on to exploit mm. the gaps in the offering that say Ibotta? That would be one exercise um, that teams could do. Let's if, say there's two companies with the same strategy. What sure. would differentiate the one versus the other? What would inhibit a, or what, what would help it? Like a, a startup from ground zero disrupting a bigger giant company like Rakuten or Ibotta or something like this, right? Like sure. if they had the yeah. same strategy, what would differentiate the two? Well, I mean, you could take it in a couple different angles. If it's the same strategy, so by strategy, are you talking about same target market, same general approach to how you're 
basically solving that problem and the kind of feature set or solution set that you're bringing to market to solve a particular problem, like generally speaking the same. Yeah. Like at what operationally activity wise would the team's companies be doing differently to like distinguish a winner? Like who, how would they win? I mean, there's, there's the business side, which is like, I mean, kind of a race to the bottom who does it more cheaply. There's possibly a nuanced difference between how am I solving the same problem? Which company is solving the same problem better and better and better? And there's value in that. And then there's another way to look at it, which is which company understands that my problems and goals are changing over time and they are going on this ride with me, right? So there's like a static, there's a, there's potentially a team that thinks about problems as more static and then a team that thinks about problems as more fluid. And so like, I mean, you're intimately familiar with this, but like the death of cookies, right? Radically changed the ad tech landscape, like fundamentally. There are problems that could be solved in that world, pre and post. Mm -hmm. And then there are pr new problems that that change in the landscape introduced to a lot of companies operating or customers operating in that world previously relied on cookies. Some companies may have stuck with the problems that they know how to solve. We're like, we're really good at this. We're the best in the world. No one does this better than us. We're the market leader. We're the segment leader in solving this problem. And they're not taking into account how new market conditions hmm. may be changing the priority of that problem. And as a result, the propensity to pay for a solution for that problem within customer businesses. So what previously may have been the top problem, the top need, the top way a company could come in and solve problem for a customer, that may not be the case anymore. There may be different problems. And the really strong innovation-driven companies, I think, understand how those priorities of problems change over time from the perspective of a customer. And the companies that can stay with that customer on that journey and continuously solve problems understanding the changing market landscape, changing needs, changing goals of, of businesses and customers, those are the ones that tend to win. I like that. So you're saying the continuous process of customer discovery alongside of solution 100%. validation, that pattern, doing that well enough, doing it fast enough, doing it consistently enough. Yeah. That's what differentiates yeah. and distinguishes. Yeah. Yep. If I had to sum it up into a nice little soundbite, uh, put this on your favorite tweet platform of choice. There's a difference between perfecting the solution and perfecting your customer understanding. And I don't think those two things are the same. And the companies that win are the companies that perfect their understanding of the customer. Yeah, love that. So I think now... A lot of these, uh, some of the companies that I've seen struggle to balance these two different phases, right? And and yep. maybe they don't have the right patterns in place. I mean, we talked a lot about with Teresa Torres, continuous discovery habits. It seems to me that like going back to a first principles understanding of some of this stuff really opens up some new ideas for a lot of folks. And yeah. I wonder if the emergence of new processes, techniques, and chat GPT prompts is almost leading to a lack of understanding of those core fundamentals and yeah. understanding how to operate consistently. 
with these with these things. And it's kind of like an amalgamation of all these tools and tricks, right? I wonder like yeah. if that's exacerbating the skill set on a team to not be able to do this. Maybe they'll lose, uh, lose the forest for the trees, right? Like they're not actually seeing mm. this full picture or the, the, uh, the first principles thinking of it all to understand how to do things consistently or they're missing core fundamentals. I want to bring it back down to process because that's kind of what we started with. But yeah. if, if that was the core differentiator of these two different competing organizations with a similar strategy is understanding how to yep. do it this way and that way, like break it down for me in like simple phases, steps, like sequences. Is this a sequential thing? Like what are the things that every um, product team should be making sure that they do consistently at a high rate? Yeah. I think one you said I like problem or customer discovery might be one of these, right? Customer discovery, I think is by far and away the most important thing that you can be doing because people are changing all the time. Companies are changing all the time. Their goals are changing all the time. I think by not to beat this one to death, but like LLMs is such a watershed moment in particular for the content industry, right? Like what before, like folks who could generate high quality content over time had a much higher premium before LLMs than they do now, because all of a sudden it's a lot easier to do that at a reasonably high level of quality. And so that going back to the, to the, to the, severity of problems changing over time, that problem all of a sudden is not nearly as much of a problem anymore for certain mm -hmm. companies looking to achieve certain things. And so if you are dialed on perfecting your solution as opposed to perfecting your understanding of the problem over time as conditions change, you're screwed. At some point, you will be screwed. What are the activities that teams do to make sure yeah. that that doesn't happen? Like what are, do they interview yep. consistent? Like what are those activities? I think it's, I mean, I think it's a balance of a couple different things. I think it's, it's customer interviews. It's go talk to your customers. Go talk, not even just your customers. I think it's also really important to talk to your market and get it, getting an understanding, like get, sit on customer calls for sure. If you're a B2B company and you're working in more of an enterprise space, like see if you can read RFPs that your company is participating in, right? Like those are super revealing in terms of what potential prospective customers care about, what kind of problems are they alluding to in those documents that they are trying to solve. Um, incredibly important. Have an understanding, if you have a segmentation done of your potential market and you've picked a segment or two or three, fewer the better, that you're, that you're naming as your target segment, your target market, go talk to people who are your customers and try and get an idea of what they're trying to do. And that's a little bit more on the micro level. At the same time, what product teams ought to be doing is looking at a particular market in general. So there's the individual emotions, individual needs, individual problems, individual perspectives that you get from talking to one or two customers at a time. It's just as important to look at the general trends across your market as well. So are you doing broader market analysis to understand the general trends, whether that's in technology, whether that's in business models, whether that's business goals that are starting to reveal themselves in the market, because generally speaking, that's where you're going to be able to identify things that your customers or prospective customers or target segment may want before they articulate it to you in an individual customer interaction. So those are the biggest, those are two big things there. And then I think at the same time, it's, there's, I think a culture of experimentation, of course both in terms of what you build, of course, 
But I think before that, it's almost your internal marketplace of ideas as well. Are you, as a culture, encouraging ideas that may dissent from core strategic principles? Are you encouraging people to say, what if? What if we do this? Even if it runs contrary to what we do today, like knowing our, if, you, if you're grounding it in your customer, in your market, in the general mission of your company, float it, like throw it out there, right? Because it's easy to put blinders on. And the longer you're in a particular market, the more you feel like you know everything there is to know about that particular market. And that's pretty dangerous. And so how do you keep yourself humble? How do you keep challenging your own ideas and your own assumptions and your own biases? I think a lot of that is coming back to the kind of interchange of ideas culture that you've built within your team. So even before you start building stuff and investing time and talent, whether that's engineering, design, research, analytics, whatever the case may be, what do your conversations look like as a team? What kind of what kind of ideas are are put into the public discourse, and why doesn't that happen enough? Is there time for that? Like the day to day feels so full and so heavy and so packed, just with managing the product <laughs> and what you've already decided you want to try and experiment with. That like taking the time to throw together a couple paragraphs on some kind of quote unquote harebrained idea just feels yeah. like a fantasy. And so I don't think it's for lack of desire to have those conversations. Sure. I think it's, I think it's, but there's something day to day of a product team is, yeah, it's crazy. This is the core of it though. This is what I'm trying to unpack, right? Because I think you're right. Yeah. And my hunch is that it's a nature of the environment and how, you know, the oral organization starting with leadership treats innovation and thinks about it. Yeah. And in, in, it seems like, you know, it, there's not a home for it. It seems like we can't actually yeah. go and do that because we're too bogged down doing all these, you know, other things. Yeah. And, and, to, and I guess like yeah. to me, I know there's organizations that get past this and it's very rare sure. and it takes maybe a specific type of leadership team to enact it. But I wonder like, yeah. um, is it? Is it more of the mindset shift if it's not a lack of effort? Because I feel like all these teams are working incredibly yeah. hard, right? And so what totally. is, what's totally wrong? Hard. What's broken here, right? I think part of it is, and this is all born from, I think, generally speaking, a very good place that everyone in business, generally speaking, starts from, and that's being solution-oriented. A lot of times, however, that can manifest in a more reactive way, right? How, mm. how many hours a day are teams firefighting issues, are teams getting requests from existing customers and trying to figure out how to meet the needs of those clients, whether they mm. be internal folks or external folks, right? So a lot of the day is spent reacting to stated mm. needs and stated problems and As then what it's to, we can't slow down and fix all those right because my god we have to innovate we can't slow down and fix all those or the time that would have been allocated to trying to understand where the market's going to be tomorrow i.e figuring out problems that need to be solved before customers and prospects realize they have those problems hmm. that time is now allocated to managing those inbound requests 
So now what? Should we hire some more people and and throw them on the fire? I mean, some companies will do that, right? Like to me, it sounds like there's something broken, right? Like there's something broken there in a process or a product operating model in an organization that enables this behavior to consistently happen uh, time and time again. And I've only seen this be a pattern just from being at like 10 different organizations and product at different levels and like at at rapid paces. And like, I'd see the same problem. Everyone's talking about the same things. And it's very interesting to me. It's like, well, there's something going on there. Like, well, yeah, I think part of it is product. I think this is a fundamental challenge that really good product discovery has, and that's demonstrating value. Uh, because I think there's oftentimes a perspective, oh, the product team is going off and doing a bunch of this this discovery for a bunch of weeks, and then they're going to come mm. back and maybe we'll have an idea of what we're going to go build. Like for business teams, that's a long time. And there's like mm. a, let's go. Like, what are we building? Let's do it. Like, what are we, what are we going to do? Like, this is the trap. Out I was there, right? you figured, that, right? Totally. You haven't figured this out yet. Right. So like, there's an expectations management, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Set, yes. Okay. Especially, especially for product leaders. Yeah. How do you, like, I think the product leadership in a lot of ways as evangelizing, defending and promoting quality product process. And helping the business understand, here's what we're doing and why it's really important and how it benefits you. Um, and if you ideas have ideas, awesome. Let me take them. Here's how it fits into the direction that we're running. That, I think, is a highly underrated skill for product leaders because there is this pressure always to build. And someone's going to come in and be like, I have this great idea. Just go build it. Right? Everyone deals with that on any product team. And so I think the trick becomes how do you manage that pressure and build the, build the moat around the team in order to go do some of this quality product discovery work that we know leads to good outcomes if given the time and space to be done well. At Ibotta, we did a, a, a day workshop. We brought the whole product team in and we did a workshop with the Nielsen Norman Group about product discovery. Shout out Nielsen Norman Group. They're awesome. And we talked a lot about different discovery techniques and how to approach it, different tools, different processes. But there was also, I thought, a really good nugget in there that speaks to this topic that we're talking about now. And that is product discovery. You can spend three days on it. You can spend three months on it. And sure, like there are varying, there are varying, there are varying levels of should in terms of how long you should be doing product discovery for a whole variety of reasons. But the, the point that we were talking about in this workshop was what level of risk are you comfortable with as a business? The more time you are able to devote to quality product discovery practices and techniques, the lower the risk profile is going to be that you are investing oftentimes your most valuable resource at development time into the right or wrong thing. That said, like, if the business is like, well, we need to build something now and for whatever reason that may be, like, okay, we can do three days of discovery, but our level of risk is going to be a lot higher that we're building the wrong thing. And so when it comes to managing business expectations and priorities of like, why can't it just be this super predictable thing that we're going to have this Gantt chart roadmap of like, we're going to have this feature on this day, it's going to solve this problem, it's going to drive this level of, going to drive this level of business outcomes, like, 
it's yeah, that's one way like to help manage some of those expectations of like to communicate the risk of risk. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about risk. It sounds like they're like, okay, let's go. Right. And so we always just assume a whole bunch of risky projects, which we don't mitigate risk. We don't have a good process to mitigate risk and ship fast. Is that kind of what you're saying? Or are you seeing success with it? I guess like, are you seeing that, you know, you're not in the anti-pattern organization that we're talking about, or is it like you guys are struggling to figure out that right level of discovery? I think, I think every product team experiences this to some degree, hmm. just because a product discovery process looks a lot different and is measured, I think, pretty differently than a lot of business processes, right? Like you can look at a sales pipeline and you can look at different stages in a sales process and you, it's like beautiful funnel, right? You can look at conversion rates. It's pretty predictable. Mm -hmm. You can, you can look, you can forecast revenue out. You can get trends over time. Like there's a lot there that you can work with that like makes your sales pipeline look pretty predictable. I think similarly in more of a marketing world, like you also have a lot of funnel metrics that you can measure, that you can tweak, that you can put money here. You can take money out there and you can see predictable outcomes in some of your key marketing metrics. Mm. It does not work that way in product, <laughs> right? And so when interacting with a lot of these teams, like to the example before you were talking about of like, oh, sales, like I'm not hitting my revenue numbers because I'm not getting qualified enough qualified leads from marketing. And marketing is like, oh, I can't give you qualified leads until I know what the product's going to do on this, that, or the other schedule. It's like how those teams are coming from a world and a mindset where they know they can operate in much more of kind of a intentional, predictable, very metrics oriented fashion. I think that's the goal, right? That's the intention. I think they get into these challenges because they pitch it as so easy. It's this, it's this funnel. It's yeah. this prediction that's going to work, right? Like, but they don't yeah. understand, like, we can't predict the future. We don't know what's going to happen. And so what ends up happening yeah. is that you bet the farm on a on a projection or a forecast that ends up being yeah. slightly wrong, but then causes this huge effect in the product organization about, like, oh, well, we're 2% yeah. off. So what does that mean? Okay, marketing, what does that mean? Okay, product, come on, product, product. Right? Like, and so I think yeah. that kind of kickstarts this. So there's yeah. got to be another way <laughs> that is what i'm getting to i know i would love yeah. um, you know the startup way eric reese talks about innovation accounting i think there's some really yeah. solid ideas in that yeah. that i would love to double down and explore more on, a, yeah. on another podcast but i i think basically what the things that i'm seeing the anti-patterns and how this can work a little bit differently is that there's always going to be a level of quote unquote execution, right? There's always going to be a level of shipping things. But yep. when is the right time to engage with the go-to-market teams to not, you know, have these moments happen? And then how, like you said, building the moat with your team, how can you give them yep. the space and time and empowerment and goals to do the right work that needs to get done and then pull over what's working and what's not to then engage with the go-to-market teams in a consistent way without, you know, projecting yeah. here's my 12-month, five-month or five-year roadmap to the T, right? Like this, yeah. 
based on our project. Like, we don't know. We don't know if it's going to take or not. We hope it does. And like, that's what we're working yeah. towards, but we don't know what, and we don't know what to what capacity. And, but that's what the, yeah. that's the beauty of that innovation process is to figure those things out. And then when we do get the pull, that's when you go hire more. That's when you pull them in. That's when you ask for resources, right? But hey, just because we asked for it last year doesn't mean we're going to ask for it this year if we're not getting pull. So pull your shit back, yeah. right? And I think teams are yeah. kind of getting to this point where they can't run lean enough because they continually think of growth in terms of headcount or, you know, growth in terms of, uh, you know, every, you know, again, the sales funnel, whatever, right? Like, I think that's just the wrong way to look at it. And I think there's a different way that we can really help our product organization as, as a leader, you know, as, as in a, in an organization as your, as your CEO or your, your executive team to treat this so that you can do that the right way and not inhibit innovation. Um, right. And so I, I think there's a better way there. I, you know, yeah. and I'd love to go into that in another episode, but that's, uh, yeah. those are some early yeah. thoughts on it. It's such a dance. Like I wish there was like a handbook or a run book for this. There isn't. There are so many moving parts. Um, there's, of course, a lot of science to, to product management and product development, but there's a lot of mm -hmm. art too. Yeah. And I think part of it is who are your business partners? Who are your product marketers? If you have a product marketing function, do you have the right relationship with them where you can be very clear about kind of where you are in your product lifecycle? Like we're just trying to find the pull. Can you help us push the product a little bit so we can see if we can get a little bit of that pull? And can we taste that? Right. Can we find that product market fit? Yeah. Or is it, all right, we found the pool. Let's light a fire under this thing. And like, let's talk about that. Right. So like, it's almost like perfecting the formula and then industrializing the formula. Right. At what point, where are you in that journey? Yeah. And then it's like, what kind of relationships do you have with your key stakeholders, with your marketing stakeholders, with your sales stakeholders, with your account management stakeholders, your customer success stakeholders? And are you communicating the why behind your process as much as the what? And are you communicating, are you demonstrating and building, are you demonstrating progress thereby building confidence in the process, right? There's, mm. It's one thing to say, here's why we're doing it, right? And you can get people to buy into the logic behind the process. Like, of course, right? Like you sit down with anybody and you walk them through a product process and why we do what we do. You're like, yeah, cool, awesome. But then are you also putting in the work to follow up and say, hey, remember that process we talked about and how kind of circular it is and nonlinear it is and kind of how messy it is. Here's actually the progress that we're making. Mm. And here are parts of the board that yeah. are becoming clear and that we're uncovering and we're getting a better and better understanding. And here's how it's manifesting in these yeah. business outcome metrics. Well, let's, uh, let's wrap it up with some homework and then let's have another conversation about this. I think it'd be be fun. Yeah. Any homework for the listeners today? My homework is just a question to think about. Are you in your product organization or in your business? Are you perfecting your solution? Are you perfecting your product or are you perfecting your understanding of your customer? I'm going to go with a challenge and I want to hear from folks based on what you're seeing working in your organization. What type of process has really worked for you worked meaning not getting into this kind of anti-pattern and share that we'd love to you know pull those apart and, and share that on the show or is it more of like a mindset shift is the process clear but it's really the organizational environment the ecosystem that is causing us not to stick to 
the process or not be able to go pursue that innovation process. So more of just a challenge for folks to share it. Like, I'd love to hear what you think. You can always call us. I think you can leave a voice message and you can also share uh, in a comment on our socials and what have you, I think on LinkedIn and um, Instagram as well. So um, we'd love to hear from you. But yeah, looks like we finished up our coffee. So go level up. This has been Product Coffee, produced and engineered by me, Kevin Gentry. Through our podcast partner, Anchor, you can now record a voice message and send us ideas or topics to cover. And who knows, we might end up playing it on the show. You can also become a supporter of Product Coffee by contributing a monthly donation to help us sustain future episodes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Product Coffee on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.